All of you in this room, going through life, you have a story. And your story, really everyone's story, the human story, you are full of these peaks, like our, we would know it as Mount Lacan. You have the Mount Lacan highs. And sometimes you go through seasons where you have the Death Valley lows, where nothing seems to be going well for you. You have all of us, you're going to have seasons of good, and you're also going to have seasons of grief. It's a roller coaster of a ride, what we call life, is it not? It, some of you are in the, in the valley now, some of you are, are on the peak right now. How you respond in those situations means everything. We talked last week about how we wrestle with the honest questions and the doubt that we may have. We should respond by wrestling and being open with God, but we also embrace the faith. The saying, that's one thing. And having the ability to embrace the faith while we wrestle with questions is an entirely different thing altogether. Today, we're going to get practical. And we're going to look at how that can play out for you. Today's message is it's not going to be a super inspirational message. It's not a rah-rah motivational thing. This is practical application. How do we do what we talked about last week? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we open up Scripture today and look into your word and see what you have for us today and how we respond in times of of good and in times of grief. Lord, I pray that you will, will move amongst us today. Lord, that you will show us how we practically put this into practice. And not just some theory that we may hear on a Sunday morning, how we go and we live these principles out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, the title of the message today is How to Deal with Life and Keep Your Sanity. Who's ready to learn that? How to Deal with Life and Keep Your Sanity is probably something that we've all struggled with um, because there are seasons in life where uh, everything just goes sideways. Habakkuk, we began looking at the story of Habakkuk last week. Habakkuk, being a part of the nation of Judah, he had experienced the mountaintop. We believe that Habakkuk lived during the reign of King Josiah, and King Josiah was known in Scripture. He was called a, a good king. He was someone who was a godly king, which didn't happen very often in the reign of those kings in Israel. Most of them, probably 90%. I've not done the calculation, but I would guess somewhere in that range, they are called evil kings, doing things that are against God. But Josiah was a godly king, and Judah had lived through that. He had seen what it looks like to live in a time of revival where there's this spiritual growth going on all through God's people. And the land was the people. They were living in prosperity. It was a good time. But Josiah, um, after he passed away, there were kings who followed him who were not godly kings, and Habakkuk was living through them as well. And, and we think that he wrote this, this book, Habakkuk, this prophecy, during the reign of King Jehoiakim. And things were not going well during the reign of King Jehoiakim. He was an evil king. So Je 
Habakkuk had seen the good with King Josiah. He had experienced this, this death valley moment with King Jehoiakim. He had seen it all, and yet he is unshaken. It didn't shake his faith to go from the mountaintop to the valley. Probably the central passage of the whole book of Habakkuk is the last verse of the book. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. We read it last week. It says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. He'd gone from the mountain to the valley, and he's unshaken. He had seen... We talked a little bit about it last week, didn't get into what the answer was, but he had seen God answer, but not how Habakkuk had wanted or desired him to answer, but he was unshaken. Uh, he, he had probably, as God is beginning to answer, thought everything's going to get better, but as we talked about last week, maybe not. Maybe things are going to get worse first, and that's what happened, yet Habakkuk was unshaken. He chose to remain faithful. He made a decision to, to stay in the faith and follow his God and trust his God when things weren't going the way that he wanted them to go. I mean, just, just look at his response in the verses prior to the one we just read, beginning in, in verse 17. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, and even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, that does not sound like a great answer from the Lord, does it? Even though everything is going wrong, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. That's the faith that I want. And that's the faith that I desire for you all. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. No matter what's going on, no matter what the valley looks like. And that's really easy to say. How exactly do you do it? How exactly do we get there? Well, he gives a clue because he says, God has made him as sure-footed as a deer. Now, we're all East Tennesseans. We know what deer look like, right? Deer, when I think of a deer, I think of a deer who is fleet-footed, uh, who is fast and running across in front of my car on my way home because they like to cross over Bent Road. Um, if you all have been over in that area of Kodak, I think of the deer who are leaving these hoof prints and tearing up my, my, my lawn. That's not the thought that Habakkuk had when he was writing this. He wasn't thinking of this graceful animal. He had another idea in mind. He was thinking of this, a, a deer on a mountaintop. Now, we don't have cliffs like that too much around here, but but the area where Habakkuk was living was a treacherous area. So this was not an uncommon sight. Deers would, would climb up on the side of mountains, could climb rocks, and, and were able to get away from danger or even sometimes climbing just to get food. They were sure-footed. They were able to climb the heights. They were able to stand firm in the face of danger. How can a deer do that? It matters what he's talking about here. So, 
So let's think of the illustration that Habakkuk is sharing here. It, it, it all comes down to their hoofs. You got that picture for me? Kind of a weird thing to talk about on a Sunday morning, isn't it? A deer hoof. But it matters with Habakkuk's illustration, what he is saying. If you look at a deer hook, I had to research this, this, what this was this week, how it worked. On the outside edge of a deer hoof, it's very hard. And this isn't just deer. This is any cloven-footed animal or cloven-hoofed animal. So it's, it's deer, it's mountain goats, it's all animals that are in that species or that whatever you call it. What word am I looking for, Craig? Yeah, we'll go along with that. Cloven-footed. Basically, they have two hooves. And on the outside edge, it's, it's a very hard surface that gives them a solid base to be able to walk and to stand. But on the inside, it's soft. And that gives them some protection when they're walking over rocks and things like that to help them stand firm. But also what it does is it helps them to climb. It almost gives like a suction cup effect. And they can climb. I saw some pictures this week stand of, I think they were called ibex. Is that an animal? Is that right? Yeah, we're going to go with that. I think they were called ibex, and they're actually climbing up the side of a dam and just standing on the side of an almost straight-up dam because they're feeding on the, 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 the weeds that are growing through the dam. I should have showed you that picture because it's really cool. Uh, that's what Habakkuk is thinking about here. They could almost take these, these hooves and, well, not almost, they do. They can split them apart and, and use them as claws to climb up, or they can separate them when the cliff's really small and just stand on one little part of the hoof and not fall. And, and he's saying, that's what God does for us. When we think of climbers, we don't think of a deer. I've never thought of a deer as being those species of animals being the best climbers in the world. Have you all th ever thought of that? I thought of it as something that, that you know, Bo is going to shoot with an arrow or a shotgun and bring me some beef jerky or deer jerky. I like deer jerky. Randy brought me some. <laughs> Don't let Randy upstage you. When we think of climbers, we usually think of this. That's what I think of when I think of a climber. Spider-Man, he can climb. They wouldn't have thought of that, obviously. So he uses the illustration of a deer. In Habakkuk, they would have, in the time of Habakkuk, they would have understood that he's saying God gives them the ability to handle any terrain. That that is his plan for you. To give you the ability to handle anything that comes your way. To be sure-footed on the heights against any mountain. How does God work this out for us? How, how does God make us sure-footed with the ability to scale the heights and to be able to stand firm and be safe? And He does it through two things, really. The indwelling of His Holy Spirit and the truth of His Word. Spirit and truth. That's how He does it. All right, awesome. We can leave now, right? And go grab, grab lunch. How does he work that out for us? If it all comes down to spirit and truth, how does God actually work that out in the life of a believer? For, for that to make sense, we're going to, to handle this study of Habakkuk a little bit different today. I, I told you we're going to get really practical, and we're actually going to step out of the book of Habakkuk this week so that we can understand what's really going on and how Habakkuk is, 
is responding and how the people are handling the situations that are coming this way. We see all through Scripture when, when God talks about making His people sure-footed and, and to have str- the strength to stand. But there's probably no better text that helps us to understand this, this process than to go all the way into the book of Ephesians in the New Testament and see how God plays this out in the life of a believer. In, Habak- in Ephesians, I'm going to say Habakkuk every time I mention Ephesians because that's what's on my mind. In Ephesians chapter 6, it's a, a very famous passage. You've probably heard this passage taught on uh, or preached on, but hopefully we're going to look at this and maybe you'll have a, a little bit different understanding of it this morning. In Ephesians chapter 6, the second half of verse 17, we read this. Take the sword of what? The sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Sword and the Word of God. It is your weapon and it is truth. Spirit and truth. How does it play out? It's, this is a blueprint for us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 gives us a blueprint on, on how to deal with life and keep your sanity. Or maybe a better way to say it is how do you deal with life and not run away from God? How do you deal with, with the, the valleys in contrast with the mountaintops and still think that we have a God who is sovereign? How do we stand firm like Habakkuk stood firm even when God doesn't feel like He's there, feel like He doesn't care, when it doesn't seem like He's being fair? How do we do it? Well, let's look back a little bit further in Ephesians chapter 6. Go back to verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be what? Standing firm. You see the the relationship that this even has to the Old Testament in the book of Habakkuk. You will still be standing and you will be standing firm. Verse 14, stand your ground. Are you seeing the theme? It's all about standing, not laying down, not letting times get you beaten down, but standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. (coughs) Excuse me. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times. And on every occasion, stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This is a practical blueprint for how we can go about keeping in the faith. How we go about dealing with life and keeping our sanity and not running away from God. And there's a key part of this. God doesn't do it for you. God doesn't say, if you 
claim me as your Savior, I'm going to shield you from all of this. But what does he say? The first thing Paul writes here, put on the armor of God. And that is an active way of saying it. It's not a, a, a passive thing. You put on the armor of God. It requires you to put in some effort. But then what are we protecting ourselves from? It's a very important realization that we need to have if we are really going to deal with all the curveballs life is going to throw us. We have to have a realization of who our enemy really is. So go back to verse 10. A final word, Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Your enemy is not the cancer that your loved one has. Your enemy is not the bank who may be ready to foreclose on your home. Your enemy is not the bankruptcy judge. Your enemy is not your spouse who you just can't seem to get along with. Your enemy is not your boss who's making your workplace a terrible place to be. Your enemy is the devil. It is spiritual warfare. And Paul has a clear message for us here. And the message is there is a strategy and a scheme of the devil that's playing against you every single day if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ or if you've walked away from the faith, he's already won. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he's coming for you every single day. He does not want you to have a positive testimony of the Lord. He wants you to be beaten down and to turn away and have nothing else to say. He's coming for you. He has a strategy. Even when you're in the Lacant moments, on top of the mountain, or you're in the Death Valley moments, He's coming for you. How do we respond? I'm a sports fan, so I like to use sports analogies. Hopefully you all can track along. How many sports fans do we have in here? Oh, good. The majority of you will be able to track along with this. That's good. Uh, I'm a sports fan. I love just about any sport except soccer because that's just an invasion of Europeans trying to take over America. It's not a real thing. Anyways, we can talk about that later. Uh, football is probably my favorite sport, and my son has really gotten into football this year. We've talked about this a little bit. He doesn't quite understand it. But how does a, a team, a defense, prepare to go up against the offense. Game film. They, they spend time studying, what are they going to do to me? So they'll spend hours digging into game film, saying every time Stetson Bennett, speaking for you over here, every time Stetson Bennett drops back to this side of the field, he usually throws it to this receiver. Now, nobody's been able to guard him for the last two years, and that's okay. 
He graduated. Thank you, Lord. So they study game film. <laughs> yeah, he's like 45 years old. <laughs> Anyways, so they study game film. And, and they'll even go through a half, the first half, and, and maybe the offense did a few things they weren't expecting. So they go in and they make adjustments. And they come back in the second half and play a different scheme. They attack the scheme of the offense with a scheme to defend themselves from the offense scoring. And really, that's what we have to do. We have to study the enemy, understand what the enemy's trying to do if we're going to defend against what the enemy is trying to do. And you can have game film sitting on your tablet in the locker room, but if you never look at it, it's not going to do anything. And we can have armor sitting in the corner of our house ready for us to suit up spiritually every single day, but when you're just sitting around on your couch in your boxer shorts, the armor's not doing any good. You've got to put on the armor because if you are a believer, the enemy is coming for you. You have to prepare yourself. How is he coming for us? He has strategies and schemes ready to come after you no matter what area of life and where you're at on the roller coaster. He's coming. How do we deal with it? What are the schemes that he's coming at, coming at us with? I don't believe these are the only schemes that he comes at us with, but I do think these are four really good places to start as we go through this process this morning. And the first thing that we see is the scheme of fear. He will manipulate fear in your life to the point where, where you can't trust anything. He comes at you with, with, with fear when you begin to see obstacles in your life that you think they're just insurmountable. I might as well give up. And he begins to whisper in your ear, God won't do anything. And the fear begins to build up. And we begin to think, what happens if my loved one loses that battle with cancer? What happens if my spouse leaves me? God's not doing anything. He won't do anything. So you begin to have fear about what the results are going to be and where you're going to end up. It's not that God won't. It's really that we begin to think God can't. That my problems are too big. They are too insurmountable. God can't take care of this. In Psalm 18, if you want a passage to rest on, bookmark this passage. Go back to it often because it speaks to these things. Psalm 18, verse 28. You light a lamp for me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. Even in the valleys, He lights up our darkness. We don't have to have fear of the darkness because He's bringing light into the darkness. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall as sure-footed as a deer climbing to the heights. God's way is perfect. 
All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to Him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock. God arms me with strength and He makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. He is arming us. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep me from slipping. When the enemies or the, or the schemes of the enemy begins to bear in upon you, and that passage or the, the thoughts of that passage are planted in your heart, and that's what you begin to believe, and that's what you begin to understand God is, then you can stand firm in the face of the scheme. And the first scheme is fear. The second scheme that he comes after us with is bitterness. After we get past the fear, we get bitter. It's when maybe it doesn't seem like the obstacle is insurmountable, but doubt begins to creep into our hearts. And it's not that God can't, but God just isn't going to bother. God won't. That creeps into our relationships. Some of you have experienced bitterness in relationships. And some of you have never let go of it. Bitter towards someone from your past. Maybe you're bitter towards your spouse or your kids or, or your boss right now. You have this, this thought that nothing's going to change. God won't take care of this. They won't do what I need them to do. And that challenge turns into doubt. And the enemy's just whispering. Nothing's going to change. You can't trust what Scripture says. He uses fear and he uses bitterness. But sometimes we're not in the valley. We're on the mountaintop. Maybe you're on the mountaintop right now. And the third scheme that he uses is pride. You know, maybe most of us when we're in the valleys, we, we don't have a tr any problem at all turning to God, sharing our, our needs with God. But when we're on the mountaintop, we begin to get preoccupied with other things and to make that mountaintop taller. But maybe the most dangerous place to be is on the heights. Because it tends to be when we're on the heights that that's the, the least that we depend on God. Because that's the moment when the scheme of the enemy starts to whisper to you, sure, I believe in God, but he'll whisper to you, God didn't do it, you did it. God didn't get you the promotion, you did that. He didn't give you the ability to do these things. You worked hard, you went and got the education. You put in the training. And we begin to get this pride where we're not turning away from God, but we're giving ourselves credit for everything, and it draws us away. And the enemy uses that to turn our God into ourself and not Jesus Christ. 
Success is a good thing. I believe that God blesses many of His people. Not all of us will ever experience success. But some of you have experienced success. Success is a good thing when we're prepared to handle it. I pray that all of you, whatever you're striving for in this life, that God brings you success in those areas. But I also pray that you are arming yourselves daily, that you're ready to face the enemy when he starts to tell you the lie that you're responsible for your blessings and not the Lord. He uses fear, he uses bitterness, he uses pride. And this is probably the most common one. The fourth one, he uses comfort. We talked about this Wednesday in our, our Bible study that we do, uh, going through theology right now, how comfort has almost become the God of the Western world. I mean, think about your life. Everything we strive for is for comfort. We want better jobs so that we can provide more comfort for our family and less stress for our family. We go for education so that we'll be able to provide better jobs. We don't want our, our children to have to deal with things in, our, in their lives. We want them to have comfortable childhoods and, and fun childhoods and, and the memories that we want them to have. And we get complacent because in our comfort our faith comes too easy. And the enemy begins to whisper in your ear. He doesn't even try to convince you there is no God. He whispers there is a God, but you don't need him right now. You're good. He is, there is a God, and, and when you need him, he'll be there, but right now you're good. If you want to deal with life and keep your sanity... You've got to arm yourself. I've been in ministry for quite a while, and this, even when kids would come to me in youth ministry, this is one of the most frustrating things for, for a pastor. When someone comes and they claim that they're walking and, and they, they share all these things about how good their faith is going, and then they talk about, you know, I'm going through this right now, and, and I just don't know how to deal with it. I, I'm actually starting to have some doubts. And the most frustrating thing is to ask them, maybe not in these words, but basically we're asking, have you put on the armor today? And the answer is, so many times, well, I was at church Sunday morning, I heard the message, I didn't fall asleep in the message, slapping. I listened to a podcast this week, or I read a blog, I... I'm doing this Bible, Bible plan on my app where, you know, I'll, I read like two, three verses a day. I'm armoring up. Are you? Are you really prepared for what life's going to throw you? Because it doesn't seem like you are. It's one of the most frustrating things that I, I deal with as a pastor. You want to deal with life and you want to keep your sanity your faith can't be a side hustle. It's got to be your primary gig. If you look at the priorities of life, your faith should be number one. Not your family, not your job, your faith. Because it trickles down into everything else. 
Are you arming yourself? Is that your number one? Your priority should be faith, spouse, children, job, and then everything else. That's not biblical. That's my opinion. It is biblical. Your faith should be first, though, and then your spouse and your children. I don't know where the job comes in. Are you arming yourself? Life plays out. You are either in the middle of a storm, you're waiting for the next one to come. You're not going to escape this life without a storm. Habakkuk did not escape this life without a storm. And when our effort at our faith, when it's a token effort in our wait for the storm, then you will be broken in the aftermath of the storm. Habakkuk, he was unshaken because he remained faithful. He put in the work. He he was able to survive the storm because his faith was unshaken. And God's promise to you, I believe the promise of Scripture is that when you armor up, When you put on the armor of God, you will survive the storm. And the results, the aftermath of the storm may be terrible. You may lose whatever battle you're facing. But you'll survive. Because He will make you as sure-footed as a deer. Ready to climb any obstacle that comes your way. When God, when it feels like God doesn't, whatever, are you armored up? Are you suited up ready to go into the battle of everyday life? Because here's the truth of the faith. It takes work. It's not just a transformation in your life that happens because you said a prayer. It's a transformation that happens because of our commitment to the Word of God and the Spirit working through us. Spirit and truth. Are you armored up? Are you putting in the work? Because He will not do it for you. He gives you all the tools you need to survive in this world, but faith is active. It's not passive. He will not do it for you, but He will do it with you in spirit and in truth. I talk about spiritual disciplines a lot. If you're new to us, maybe you haven't had to deal with that, but I believe spiritual disciplines are our core to us being able to walk through this, this world. You know, I, I grew up in, in church. We were in church most of the time. Church has done a really poor job of helping us understand that we've got to put in effort. We were all about, not Northview Church, but church in general, is all about, for this last generation, been about building a crowd How many people can I get in the building? How can I attract more people in? 
There is an importance to that. But none of that matters if the people in the building aren't armoring up every day. This is not enough. When you face the Death Valley moment, if this is it, showing up to church is all you got, it's going to kill you spiritually. You're not going to win the battle. The enemy's coming for you. Are you prepared? As the band comes back up and we close this morning, are you on a mountaintop? Or are you in a valley? Or maybe you're on the in-between. You're scaling back up the mountain and you feel yourself sliding down the mountain towards the valley. Whatever the roller coaster looks like for you right now, what are your weaknesses in your faith? Where are you struggling the most? Is your Bible dusty? When's the last time you opened it? It, it seems so trivial and Sunday schoolish. Read your Bible. Take care of this every week. Read your Bible. Pray. It seems that way because we've played it off that way, but it is vital that you understand Scripture, that you are arming yourself with every opportunity you can to fight the schemes of the enemy. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes as we close this morning, and just spend time with God right now. As we talked about last week, we're going to continue doing it this week. Wrestle with your honest questions and your doubts. Where are you doubting the Lord right now? Are you letting fear creep into your life? Is bitterness creeping into your life? Has pride begun to creep in? Or are you just in a time where you're, you're super comfortable? You don't want things to change. Everything's good. You just want to leave it that way. You're either in the middle of the storm or you're waiting for one to come. If you would right now, just spend some time with God being honest. Lord, I am feeling weak in this area. Or Lord, I don't feel like you are helping me at all. Whatever it is, be honest. Wrestle with the question and the doubt for a moment. at it last week, we saw Habakkuk wrestled with the doubt, but he also embraced the faith. Make this your prayer. Help me, Lord, to realize that you light a lamp for me and you light up my darkness. Lord, let me see that you are giving me the strength to crush any army, to scale any wall. Lord, make it evident in me that your way is perfect, that your promises will never fail. They are true, that you are a shield 
my protection. That you are the only God. You are my solid rock. Lord, arm me with your strength. Make me as sure-footed as a deer. Help me, Lord, to stand on the mountains, to be sure-footed, to stand firm. Train me every day, Lord, as I go and battle against the scheme of the enemy. Give me the shield of victory. Support me. Keep me from slipping. If you're in a storm right now, and you just need some prayer, some support, I'm not going to call you out, but I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand? Greg, just pray for me this morning. I'm not going to call you by name, but I'm struggling. I don't know where I'm going to turn. My marriage is on the rocks. My job's on the rocks. My finances are a mess. I'm terrified because I'm facing an illness or my loved one's facing an illness. And I do not feel equipped to handle this. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Any others? Father, I pray for those in this room who are just, they are in the valley right now. And they don't know how they're going to climb back out of it. Lord, I pray that you would give them the confidence in their faith to trust that you will do what you say you will do. Maybe it seems bleak. But you will keep us standing in the end. You will give us the strength that no matter what comes our way, we can stand against it. That we will recognize that our enemy is not our loved one or our whatever physical ailment or whatever it may be. Our enemy is the devil. Would you help me to stand against that? For those in this room, Lord, who... They're on the mountaintop right now. I pray, Father, that you will keep pride from creeping in. That you'll keep comfort from creeping in. Lord, that you will just practically today show us the importance of an active faith. That we get up every morning and arm ourselves with spirit and truth putting on the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth, the shield of the faith, Lord, that we are taking up the full armor of God every single day. But we don't know what the next moment brings. But we can rest assured you will keep us standing if we're willing to put in the work arm ourselves. 
There may be some of you in this room who've never taken up any sort of armor for God. You've never expressed faith in the Lord. Well, His promise is that if you do express faith in Him, He will save you. And maybe you don't understand what being saved even means. But you realize there is a need for it. I want to invite you to to just come. You can grab me after church. We'll talk. I'd love to walk walk with you through what that practically looks like for you. For those of you in this room, if you are not willing to make a commitment to take up your armor daily, it's going to be awful hard to fight the schemes of the devil. As the band leads us in closing this morning, would you just take time? And maybe it's singing praises, maybe it's staying seated, maybe it's coming up to the front and just just confessing or, or laying it on the altar. Just ask the Lord to help you take up your armor every single day.